okay? Aww. You know when you lead back on your crappy chair? <laughs> hey, this I that didn't choose to grow this. Pressing numpad another time. Why are you playing it if you're bitching about it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you kicked the ball over. Now you get that. Right. Fucking broke me legs, mate. What question did expect it? What a glorious motherfucker! Look at our glorious. Listen, I carried your asses! Congratulations. Hello there everyone, and welcome to Live Gaming Gathering, where we gather to talk about games, life, entertainment, anything we find interesting or interesting to discuss. And I'm Tom, also known as the Lanky Soldier, and this is episode 3 of our brand new podcast where we already described, talk about stuff. And today I'm joined by the real Battlefield Game Changers, the people that left a big impact on everyone, even though you probably not realize it, whether you're a player or a developer, I'm joined today by Dark Ethereal, who are already featured on episode 1. Say hello. Hello. Wow, that's enthusiastic as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that is enthusiastic as hell. And a brand new guest, Spit- Spitfire. But we call him Simon. Yep, good day. Don't try to speak my full name, because it's not going to work anyway. Spitfire Simon. Close enough. Yeah, I'm getting there. Please don't do that. Never again. Spitfire and Simon is best. All right, um... Also, I want to say, because Spitfire is, the, uh, is on this podcast, well, brand new podcast for the first time ever, We, I, I want to bring you back in Battlefield 1 podcast days, when we're doing the Battlefield podcast, and we never brought you there for, I don't know why, for two, two, 42 episodes. Yes, it, it already started in BF4, I think, is I just didn't really have anything particularly interesting to say besides the handlers. Okay, so for anyone that doesn't know, Simon is number two now in the world. That has the most flare kills in Battlefield 4. And you were competing with some guy, I don't know where from, I can't remember his name. Uh, hilarious. Yes, German. That's, that's the he name. He got 3,000, I believe. I just want to ask, how the hell you have the patience to get 2,000, 3,000 mm. flare kills in Battlefield 4? You know, the, the thing is, there's there's it's kind of a factor of a challenge, because... Those, even if people have absolutely no idea what's coming for them, it still isn't very straightforward because, first of all, to really set up an effective trap, you needed to get some points to upgrade your squad perk level, which took a while because you needed to get to level 3 to be at full capacity. And the thing is, when you set all the explosives up from start to end, it's going to be like 15 to 20 seconds. It kind of depends on the setup. And you need complete peace and quiet in that period. But at the same time, uh, it still has to be an area that sees enough combat because otherwise you're just going to be standing, looking and doing nothing. Well, at least in the way I use them because uh, Hilarious used the aggressive flares. But for my playstyle, which was more trap-based, you just had to find that mix of, I would say, calculated risk, which more often than not, it still doesn't work. It, it's just the challenge that keeps on giving, really. I guess I guess that's all there is to it. I love that there's like some sort of like meta here, getting kills when a non-killing object in the game. <laughs> yeah, that that's actually pretty ridiculous because I was talking with Hilarious. Uh, and we have styles that are just complete polar opposites. He would usually go for that aggressive style where he would just sneak up on more passive players, translate to usually snipers, uh, although he also got a pretty decent number of tanks. 
so he would just actively chase those kills. Well, in my case, it was more finding a high traffic area and just waiting for someone to walk into it, which, uh, well, I guess it works a little bit more often, but it takes way more time to get the kills. On the plus side, it has more potential for multi-kills, although it's not something you should really rely on too much. How We, we met on C- Battlefield CT, right? Or Skype. We met through Dark's BXP Skype channel. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was back in Skype days. Yeah, oh my god, the Skype days. We were talking about it back in the episode one about it, and we had like, what, 150 people, something like that, and it's just... That chat was never quiet. But yeah, I think we met through through that, and then somehow we transferred to Discord? Or... No, 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 Slack. Oh, it, it was, was Slack. Slack. I completely forgot about Slack. Completely. The, 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 way, like, the way it started with, obviously, Dark has a better picture, but many people in the beginning, myself included, that's, I think, the only detail I remember with 100% certainty, was because uh, there was a post on uh, old Battlefield forums basically encouraging people to join uh, to that. And there was a decent number of people, thankfully, fairly sensible people, which if you were on the old forums, you know it wasn't always a given, that joined and, it, I mean, kind of worked out, I guess. As you say, the old forums, I just remembered, and like you said, Dark is inviting everyone to join. I just remember, do you remember the badge he used to share? With every post he did. Uh, uh, no. The BXP chat uh, logo. Yeah, 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 I remember. That's how I remember the form field forms with just Dark with his BXP badge going everywhere, posting everywhere. I mostly remember, remember the forums because of the off-topic section, which I think I can probably say I'm probably one of approximately three to four people who were very active in the off-topic chat and somehow never managed to get banned. Battlefield forums back in the day were quite something on Battlelog. They were, like, quite something. I remember you, you. I used to get so wound up, and I can't remember what... Oh, there were so many things we got wound up about. So much. Yeah, there were so many things. <sighs> Good time. You guys met through Battlelog, I guess. Because Dark was inviting yeah. everyone to join. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that would be it. Hmm. Okay, because I called you go, both of you the real game changers. I know Dark created BXP chat, basically created a small group of players that were passionate about Battlefield and helped DICE as much as they could with the development of BFO and everything and everything like that. Can you explain your role, what you did in CTE or BXP, that, why I think that you're the real, one of the real game changers out there? Oh, me? Both of you. Uh, Simon, would you like to go first? Okay, I can go first. Uh, well, in my case, uh, like my okay role is a stretch, but uh, it all started with uh, BF Tracker, the community bug tracker that Red Spider created. Uh, he it was even even before BFXP days, but it it was in BF4 already. Uh, it, we kind of connected, well, kind of by accident, because it, if you know me, you know I like to write. A very a lot. long yeah. piece of you're, text. You're just like dark. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I think I might be even worse. But uh, basically, what happened was that I wrote the list of just every bug that I remembered at the point, and I just posted that on the forums. Obviously, nobody read that, but uh, because they just saw the size, they're like, "Nah, 
no, 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 I'm not doing that. But Spider, uh, who was a moderator on the forum back then, uh, he invited me to just kind of help out with reporting bugs on the tracker. Back then, it was more than we would just report bugs. It wasn't really a public thing. But when CT came up, it, it, I would say, got transferred to a more public role where people would actually start reporting bugs for the CTE in the bug tracker. And what I would do would be, well, primarily at that point, reviewing whether the bug was reported properly and if it isn't a duplicate of something that got reported. Because, I mean, obviously, if people don't really know how QA really works, so they wouldn't have an idea that they that if something is already reported, you just ping it in there instead of posting a new one. It's you obvious, Obviously, no one should be blamed for not knowing that, but still, it had to be kept under some kind of supervision because otherwise it would just devolve into a complete mess. So... That's what I would primarily do. Over time, I mean, in BF1, I also started verifying, like trying to reproduce bugs a bit more. But yeah, what I said was the primary role. And honestly, in BF4, really the only one because I had a laptop back then. It wasn't a very good laptop. So while it just about barely could run BF4 in Minecraft quality at about 20 frames per second, CT was a bit too much for it. So all I could do was really, I guess you could call it infrastructure help, plus just talking and pretending that I know what I'm talking about. I guess that would be it, basically. Mm. You can just do a quick about yourself, Dark. Uh, well, yeah, so, uh, yeah, as I kind of got into last episode, basically when CT started up, um, I got in I had contact with a developer and we just started this thing where we started a chat where some people with the ability to give good feedback could communicate with developers and it just sort of grew from there because I I had a strong sense things should that should be sort of opened up as widely as possible and not kept to a, a few a small group of players um the thing is a game like Battlefield is shared between all sorts of different kinds of players. And if you just stick to a few, you, you, you know, you can't just stick to the infantry players, uh, you know, make a game that's not for tank players. You can't just stick to any particular group. So we had, I felt that things had to be opened up more widely and I, I was wanting to get more people involved in that sort of thing. And I think that, well, that what we did. And, yeah, when CT started up, I would post on the forums whatever was what was going on in the uh, in in the CTE, and we organised um, get-togethers in the CT in the Battlefield Four CT to get people playing and looking for specific issues and testing specific things, whatever was being tested that week or month, and yeah, just sort of maintained the social aspect of testing, I suppose. Which I want to kind of segue to that. So because CT is not available in Battlefield 5, we're going to talk mostly mm-hmm. about Battlefield 5 right now. Uh, okay. Um, because CT is not available in Battlefield 5, you would, would you think that Battlefield 5 would benefit from CT at this moment right now? Let's say, as we're recording right now, this is going to be December 2019. Would you think it would benefit if DICE dropped CT, let's say, January or February? Would you think it would benefit, the game would benefit from CT itself? Um... 
it is hard for me to say because you have you can't just sort of create a CT and drop it in there and 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 just have everything sort of work out if developers aren't interested in it and developers' plans aren't based around it. You know, if CT just sort of turns into a thing where developers drop whatever content they are planning to release a month early and get it tested, then it, it might be it might have an effect on sort of community engagement i youtubers getting to make videos about things before they come out um but i don't know whether it'll actually improve the game like you have to have a you have to be committed to improving the game based on player feedback and, and the thing is i remember when like players can be full of shit right <laughs> but, yeah yeah in, in Battlefield 4, in the CT, developers would do things to sort of figure out whether players could actually sort of... Whether players were actually being honest. And, and sometimes it's hard to be honest because you can think that something's happening and something isn't happening. I, I remember they, they would do tests on stuff like netcode and they would say, right, we've changed the netcode. Um, tell us whether you think it's better or worse. And people would say, oh, it's... Well, some people would say, oh, it's awful. And other people would say, oh, yeah, this is better than it's... They may have not actually changed anything that week. I'm pretty sure there were times when they'd, they'd actually do that. And they'd, ha- they'd run servers where you wouldn't know whether they'd done anything, whether that thing that they had done was meant to make things better or worse. And basically, they, they did this and they... Players would think that things are happening, even when they aren't. So it was always... You know, when it was easy for players to criticize the process, especially people would criticize what CT players sort of thought. Just, I th- and I think just because they weren't involved in the process. But the thing is, the process was basically open to any PC. Eventually, it was open to any PC player who who wanted to join CT. Um, but you know, it was just a matter of you, you could go out of your way and and choose to participate or not and, and some people didn't yet still chose to criticize which was sucky don't do that yeah you actually brought up something that i kind of wanted to bring up too which is uh, people in general like right now treat city like it would be a magic panacea for everything that they think is wrong with the game and at the same time I mean, but it definitely would have some value. Exactly how much it's difficult to say because obviously we wouldn't really know that much about the infrastructure behind it. And also as, I mean, the players kind of are capable of making stuff up slightly. I mean, let's let's be honest, placebo and bias are some serious drugs. Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, like the CT kind of became, I have a feeling right now, that kind of a buzzword for it's just going to magically fix anything. It would have fixed everything if it was there. But at the same time, when you look at Battlefield 4 and 1, so many people shouting that never actually bloody bothered to even care about it when it actually existed. I mean, when you look at that, for some tests, it was just completely 
impossible to really gather enough people to make what you would consider a representative sample because most of people that did care and there weren't that many were in it for basically early access. I mean, sure, there was a group of people who actually cared who wanted to make the game better, but compared to what would be really optimal, it just wasn't that much. And the difference is, unfortunately, I know it sounds like I'm basically blaming the community, but if more people who'd said they care actually cared, it definitely would have been way better off. Yeah, you're not wrong, though, because uh, you rem- you mentioned that some people treat it as early access. Well, BFO was kind of that, but at the same time, no, because you usually we just developers picked a random map that is not new and just like, hey, play this. And why were the changes on netcode or new weapon or why were like some sort of changes that that not that noticeable to a casual player to begin with? BF1 though, BF1 was quite the opposite. It was literally early access because the biggest patches we ever got on BF1 CT was literally content drops to test the maps. Like, oh, it doesn't crash. Okay, cool. Release it on retail in a month. Yeah, and that yeah, yeah, and that at the same time where there would be patches that actually were primarily about fixing stuff, it was just it was difficult to fill a server. That that's on PC. That that's how bad it would get. People would just not give a damn. If even in cases where it actually led to the bugs that would. It, be hilarious if I don't know if you remember the in Battlefield One the General Liu oh, and the grenade. Oh, oh, that brings full, a lot of memories. Yeah, full, full, fully automatic grenade launcher rounds. Yep, I think that were maybe like on PCX sixty people who did show up. Maybe total. That 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 would be about it. The reason I like CT, or at least I have fond memories of CT. Yes, there was always some people that just want to bitch about something, right? Whatever the case is. But the way I remember CT, it could be because we were in our own little bubble, maybe. maybe That could be it. That could be a big factor why I'm thinking fondly of CT. But CT for me was always about interaction and literally meeting new people. And whether you see them in the forums or in the game or on Skype or Slack, whatever, you recognize that person like, hey, what's up? How are you doing? Or something like that. And you talk about the changes or something like that. BF1 wasn't really that, sadly, because, like I said, it was early access content drop before a month before the game uh, drop uh, drops on the retail. And that's how I made the bloody trailers, thanks to I, Battlefield I mean, 1 CT. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess there was more interaction in BF4 CT, but also in BF1, I think what made at least the perspective on me and you a bit more different is that in BF1, we also saw it from the moderation side, which, let's be honest, it wasn't always pretty. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, yeah. And I mean, you have to have a certain amount of distance when you're doing when you're doing the moderation, because otherwise it's just going to bite you bite you back at some point on a mental level, because. Mm. More often than that, you're basically just the proxy for people who are annoyed to just release their rage. There's a reason why Battlefield forms exist in the first place. They need a space where to rant about something. <laughs> and Battlefield forms are just there. Just the reason, like 
don't get me wrong, dialog forms were never perfect. They were sometimes they were pure cancer, but sometimes they were really amazing. And but when when it's pure cancer, people do need some sort of space to want their emotions out, no matter how <laughs> can be nasty sometimes. But they need the space. I think that's how we, like. That, that works with everything. People need space to run out somewhere. So that's why I never took Battlefield forms that the current ones any seriously because majority of the feedback is just not that important or good or, or it just runs with no context. I mean, frank, frankly, a lot of st- stuff that now I'm looking at the Battlefield form, it's even difficult to really classify it as feedback, although I guess it depends on your definition because... <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of it, and a lot of it is just basically talking smack about the developers because it's more like someone has to be smack talked, and it's it's something that always, pretty much, pretty much always happens. No matter if the changes that happen are good or bad, it's always going to happen. There's always going to be that scapegoat somewhere. I mean, for example, if you remember BF4 City, uh, then. The CT regulars, for example, were also a very popular target of flack. Oh yeah, they were. from the rest of people, which is something Dark also kind of brought up. It's it's always going to happen, unfortunately, and unfortunately, always also need people who will be on the front line to at least keep it within what I guess you could call respectable level. Yeah, and as you say that uh, on the first episode, we were talking about. I mentioned game changes because people on Reddit right now complaining that game changes have influence on game design decisions. And I said that's never was the case because game changes don't have that kind of power because we game changes themselves are, are in their own echo chamber. That means nothing in the longer, like in the bigger picture because at the end of the day, DICE is making the decisions and it's their game and that's, that's what they do. And you always mentioned scapegoats. So Back in the day, they were looking for skateboards to like whatever, like the moderators or the P- or the regulars on the CT. And because we don't have CT these days with Battlefield Five on Reddit and the five point two changes that came up, uh, the TK changes and all that kind of stuff, people bit right now complaining about game changes because certain game changes apparently have such influence on people. They think they're the ones calling the shots and guys just listen to them. Which is again yeah, which not is, the which case. Is complete, completely off. I mean, yeah, there is some impact. I mean, yeah, the devs take feedback from them in those sessions that happen, but it's it's feedback. It's not decision making. And I mean, as as I said a thousand times, nobody's feedback is going to be perfect. Sure, there are going to be some things that pop up. Then that it's like, yeah, fair enough. Well done catching it, but. At the same time, there's always going to be some bias. And this is something I also I also thought of a couple of days ago. In general, it's not even as the Battlefield community. I would even say it's not as an internet community, but we always have the tendency to overestimate. We overestimate our impact. We overestimate what we think we know. I mean, I, for example, on the base on Bug Tracker, I thought I knew... A bit, like not much, but I knew a bit about like the quality verification process in the video games, and then I went to Madrid for localization, and suddenly I noticed I did not know shit. It's like, um, yeah, people need a bloody escape, and that's annoying. Like, and before people were saying, "Oh, we defend game changes or something like that," keep in mind, 
we are the game changers. Like me and Simon are part of the game changer program. And for- for, former, I, I'm former. Oh because yeah, because I you yeah, yeah part of it when I started working for EA yeah, Madrid. Correct. And we well, I'm still active, I guess, but I'm not that active there anymore because the voice, the way I say, we game changers their own separate bubble from Reddit or Twitter. Well, maybe Twitter combines them together into one. Game Changers and Reddit are completely separate bubbles. They live their own echo chamber, and dice do 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 their own thing because that's their game, and they they make they're the ones make the decision. But of course, Game Changers want to blame Reddit, and Reddit wants to blame Game Changers. It's a never-ending fight that no one can mm. win, and it's pointless. And and I'm telling you as a game changer, I agree with Reddit on certain points, and I agree with certain points that Game Changers say. And I disagree with some points the Reddit says, and some points that the game changers say. It's it's never separate. It's always together, all mixed up. It's just people pick sides for no reason that may have no impact on the game itself. Yeah, and the, the problem is that tribal mentality, it actually kills off a lot of potential productivity. I mean, obviously, there always will be disagreements, but it's kind of reaching the point where you just... And I'm even starting to catch myself on it. That and I just have to do my best consciously to avoid it. That sometimes you just catch yourself like, okay, that side said it, it's bullshit. Even though, even though you didn't really completely dive into it, and if you actually try, once you actually try to, it might turn out that hold on, they might actually have a point somewhere in there. It, that's that's the problem, and it's something that okay, I know I'm going full old man Niels at the cloud here, but it, it feels like something that's getting worse and worse over time. Really, it's not, it's not only Battlefield though. I noticed it's Call of Duty too. Like, got if you ask, okay, Call of Duty this year. What we think about Call of Duty? I think it's well maintained video game at this point. Like, like when it, when it released, sure there was some. PC bugs, crashes, or something like that. Okay, yeah, fine. But overall, it's still a well-maintained game. And people still find a reason to bitch about something. Oh, I know. It's the, it's the same. I play a lot of Seven Days to Die, which, I mean, yeah, it's still enough after all those years. But it's actually turning out to be a pretty decent game. But in there, you also have to try Switch. To be fair, they pretty much always uh, kind of clarify themselves in uh, in the survival games with multiplayer aspect to PvP versus PvE players. It's sometimes it's just a complete war. And the thing is in matters like leveling up and such, some things that make sense for PvE, they will not be so fitting for PvP and vice versa. For example, I know it in that case it was a very small group of people, but they were angry because uh, the developers, the fun pimps, they introduced an option for the server to completely turn off any damage from player to player and from uh, player to players, other players' stuff in the area protected by like a certain like the land claim block. That's how it's called. And there was a small group of people who are angry about that. Even though it's by no means it's not a mandatory option of, or anything, but the PvE servers obviously turned it on because it basically makes people immune against the griefers, which they're always going to happen. 
And a very small group of people from PvP actually took offense to that, which was, I mean, kind of weird because it did not really hurt them in any way unless they wanted to grieve. But they still ended it. It's, it, it kind of discovered what's happening in Division because there's like always arguments in, for example, Division 2. There's like people want PvP, P, like PvE content or like something balance around that. And some people want PvP to be balanced properly around that. Like there's always like a war between those two. But either way, I mean, with, which is understandable. Yeah. Uh, going back on the battlefield thing, uh, if you were, let's say, let's say you work at Dice, right? Right now, you're at, like you just got a new job at Dice. You're the lead producer or something. I wish. Yeah. Okay. Let's no, say. Not, not 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 lead producer, yeah. but okay. well, didn't you, you have to make the call. Do we bring do we bring CTE back to Battlefield Five? In the next upcoming months, and how you would do it personally? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll give that one to Dark because I need to think over this one for a moment. <laughs> don't, don't go, uh, don't go to, into detail too much. That's like basic, basic stuff. Yeah, I think I would bring back CT, um, just because I think in general it's a good idea to test things before you finalize them, and and it's feedback from the community and, and not just go on developers feel uh, because p- players and developers different people looking at things from different points of view and I think that the player's point of view is perhaps huh. one of the most valuable <laughs> Fair enough mm, what, you, what you would say Simon? I, I'll, let me put it that way if I had fairly unlimited amount of uh, people and money then I would have definitely gone for it because in such a scenario just for games health it's definitely a benefit but the problem is you would need to start kind of preparing the infrastructure for it in the back and that's where the real challenge begins because I mean for going through what's going on in the city you're you're going to need people for that, and obviously you're going to need money for that. You're going to need work power for that. Once city starts working, you would also need to activate. Once again, you need to activate a number of people. Like things have to go for through search. Thanks, Sony and Microsoft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, f- and that's just one of examples. QA goes to work. So, if, for example, you have you have you have QA people from Dice. You have EA Romania. You might have something from localization, and at that point, you activate EA Madrid and also the the other studio that focuses for the Asian languages. It it just starts really spinning up and up in terms of number of people. And I mean, if you can afford that, then fair enough. But I obviously I'm guessing here. I'm guessing here because I've only seen a frac- very small fraction of how things work and from pretty much bottom of the ladder. But I don't think it's something you could do, like particularly like you just snap your fingers and go. No, it's not it, that, it, no. it would it would take it would take time. And I guess with uh, if I'm not mixing things up. If with Battlefield next Battlefield not coming for the next year and a bit, yeah, twenty twenty one. If if they want to stick to the life service, which they obviously want to, then I guess there still would be ta- even with those reparations, there still would be time to make it work. 
but at the same time, I, I know people are going to cringe at that, but it, it's still business. You have to ask yourself if at that point it's actually going to be worth it. In BF4, it turned out it was worth it. And to be fair, BF4 was kind of a, like a perfect storm for the creation oh, yeah. of CP. Yeah. Like uh, pretty much all the stars aligned for it to just to make it work. For BF1, I guess you could say it still worked because it was, uh, based on what Dev said, it was pretty clear that the background work for creating it was just done in, enough in advance to really just not not be constantly behind the play on the whole thing. In BF5, it could work. It might not work. It's it's honestly tough to say at this point. The, the thing is, we really don't know how well Battlefield Five really did, how well is it doing on player counts and sales and such, because... We we never had player counts, but and honestly, the thing is, even like those concurrent player counts, which were present in previous battlefields when there's like the BF4, BF1 stats sites were still up, they were they were decent, but uh, even those are extremely misleading. So it's it's tough to guess, really. The way I like, okay, just a quick note about how Battlefield Five did in sales. When I was working at Sony and I was checking monthly uh, data, what kind, what what kind of games were sold and stuff, Battlefield Five was always there in like the top six or seven, maybe every month. Sometimes it was higher because of sales. Sometimes it was like a bit lower, but it was usually in the top ten selling games every month. I mean, it kind of picked up steam as as it as it went on. Regarding player counts, yeah, that's the thing. I don't know how re- what kind of retention Battlefield Five has. Uh, for me personally, Battlefield Five doesn't have a big retention for me personally because I just don't find Battlefield Five that interesting or fun. Yeah, it's fun as a Battlefield game because it's still the same formula, Battlefield formula. But I don't play that much as I used to play, let's say, BF1, and I never really liked BF1. Um, yeah, in my, in, my, in my case, I think. Like, okay, I would have to calculate it, but compared to where I was, like, on the hours played, uh, I guess if we were talking base game, probably the order most to least would be, for me at the moment, BF1 and BF5 would be about even if I added CTE for BF1, because keep in mind, I in BF1 CTE, I added, like, extra, I would say, 500 hours to it. Uh, to what I played in base game. So BF, BF1 to BF5, it would be about even. Then it would be BF4, and then there would be a pretty decent gap in BF3, and then a giant gap in Hardline. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, pe- I played Hardline for like, what, 25 hours, I think, and that's it, I couldn't. It's just, I'm sorry, it's, it's just... I actually, like, I went into three-digit playtime on Hardline. I think I played like 140 hours or something, but it's actually weird when I think about it. It's not like I disliked anything in particular in that game. There was a number of things that I liked. Also, it's worth keeping in mind that at that point, it was pretty much the first battlefield in this decade that had a smooth launch. Yes. Which people tend to forget, but it, it, one day also it's just like, eh, meh. And I never pick it up again. I'm not even sure why, really. Hmm. It's just, it wasn't just 
it felt wrong. Some it just didn't feel right. So many things like 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 just that feeling that something feels off, and you're even struggling to pinpoint what exactly. Yeah, really. it... and that is as I said, despite the fact that I liked some stuff, like you could do you could do weird shit in that game. I was like, you could do flashback or whatever kills or whatever, or shoot EXO in the ass with a zipline. Which, <laughs> I mean, that 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 was fun, but. At the same time, just something something felt awkward. It's it's tough to really pinpoint it, especially now. And coming back quickly on the Battlefield for CT, the way I personally do it, I will not have like a separate client for CT because at this point, was it last year? Dice proved with Battlefield Five they can have separate TTKs. In the actual game, what servers, certain servers were running different TTK, and the normal servers were running normal. Uh, I don't, re- I don't remember. Yeah, remember, what, what remember exactly there was like, was a, remember there was like a playlist different on Conquest or something like that back in December or something. They had like different. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had, they had different that. players. Okay, so yeah. you can, so they proved you can have different type of game under one client. So the way I would probably do it. It's not exactly being a different client for the but it will be like a different playlist or something like that. You, it probably will, will be not be part of the normal game. It will not probably track uh, level. It will not track uh, the rewards for the Tides of War crap. It will be a complete, complete separate thing just to join in, play, win the game, and that's it. There's, the, there's no points, no nothing, no level up. It's just there to play. I mean, yeah, it's it's an idea. Although, the, yeah, once again, the question is exactly how feasible would that be uh, from point of view of like get once again. I'm going to repeat that whole going through third thing over and over again uh, because that's one of things that just come back to bite you in the ass over and over again. Really, it, it's a question of exactly how feasible. Also, it would be compared to making a separate client. How it would possibly maybe impact the irregularity of of changes. And for example, I mean, keep that in mind. If we're talking public relations, people are not going to be very happy if you constantly force updates on them for stuff they're not going yeah, to true. use, which is exactly going what's going to happen in that case. And depending on how it's executed, they might also have to d- just use up way more disk space for that, which and down and just internet, which once again keep in mind for some people it's a limiting factor. Yeah. But so that that might be a bit of a pitfall. I will also the way I would say maybe yeah, it won't be probably constant updates if let's say if they will go that way. I will probably suggest make a special event. For example, that 5.2 patch that was dropped this month. That that should be in CT. So I I wouldn't say no if they just dropped in a separate playlist, play for a couple of days during the weekend. Dice can gather all the data during that time. And a month prior before the release, you can drop the patch according to feedback if there's any ch- minimal changes they can make if they want to drop that specific changes. I mean, I mean yeah, it will be some sort of special the, event. If, if that's technically possible, then yeah, I guess I would be up for it. Although, you know, maybe, maybe he would disagree with that. I guess 
it would also put some people out of their quote unquote job. Also, it's it's not it's not the job if there was some. Once again, I have no clue if it's possible. If there was some kind of way to temper down the data mining, yes, because data honestly, data mining, I would argue it's probably one of the main sources of harm for that game up till now. Yeah, but I think the one reasons why people are interested in data, data mining right now is not because... Oh, new content. It's mainly because DICE really kind of dropped the ball with Battlefield 5 when it comes to like advertising content or make, making people excited. It doesn't matter if you enjoy Battlefield 5 or not, people are not that excited. And that's the problem. And the data mining is the only exciting thing that happens because they're looking yeah, forward to something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, date, the problem with data mining is it creates expectations that more often than not, at least to some extent, have absolutely nothing to do with reality because yep. breaking news shit changes in development. Yep. It changes a lot. And then when they when they see that, okay, something was data mined, even though they completely ignore the fact that it's usually broken beyond all recognition at this point, they're like, okay, we expect the exact same thing, no matter how broken it is, how bad it is, just bring it on. Yeah, but I, they, they really need to improve the communication, though. If you ask me, they dropped, like, what, that uh, 5.2? Yeah, game development is really, is always in motion. Everything changes every day. But 5.2 changes were being made months prior, for sure. It's been in the works for months. And I'm kind of really disappointed they dropped the the thread, for example, the announcement, what's going to be in 5.2 patch, like, was it two weeks prior the update drops? No, 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 it was earlier. It started like a month and a bit before. Okay, so it's like around the time when it was already about to get sent to certification. So that's already like pretty late because if you're expecting feedback, that feedback is going to be too late. Because already at the same at the same time you have to ask yourself what good will be feedback based on uh, something people literally did not see in the game. Actually, I would argue it's once again once again it's a take that's probably going to get me strangled. But I have a feeling it five point two probably would have been better off if it actually got released completely without any warning. Because within that within that month. Uh, basically, people already made up their mind. And, yeah, it, it became a total echo chamber, so I like I agree, 5.2 has some issues, although I think it's... I still think it's better than it's made out to be. I think it's a great update, I just... I'm, I'm, but I'm with, kind of with Reddit on this one. I'm really not a fan of TTK in general. Uh, really not a fan. But that's me personally. I can, I, I can I can live with that because honestly, with what balancing those devs really have left, uh, there wasn't much more they really could do because the actual, in my opinion, best balancing tool for the weapons, which is spread, basically got shouted into oblivion. Yeah, people in really F1 hate spread by people who had absolutely no clue what it is. More often yep. than not. Believe it or not, in, when people talk about balance, another day, spread is the answer, always was and always will be. Because 
people pretend it's like some sort of high tech science about weapon bans. It's not. It's really not. And recall, yeah, you can increase recall, but recall is still. You still can easily manage the recall, no matter how extreme it is. I mean, I mean, yeah, recall. It's only going to really work to a certain point because with with vertical recall, I mean, still a vertical recall is I wouldn't say one hundred percent, but it's about eighty ninety percent controllable, unless the variation in the rec- spread, basically, unless the spread comes in. It's going to be pretty predictable, and with horizontal recall, you basically reach the point like you have a point where it's barely noticeable and it's not really doing anything to you, unless you're firing on extremely long ranges. At which point, I mean, what's the point? And then you reach at like from some point onwards no matter how much you're going to increase horizontal recoil it's not really going to matter because the weapon is going to be absolutely useless on range unless you tap fire it i mean i, I don't I, I never mind bf1 gunplay just like maybe need a bit of change. i actually i actually i actually really liked it it wasn't and, that bad but and and for and actually while i don't really like the low recoil system yeah because BF BF five honestly is pretty low recoil on most of weapons, uh, low horizontal recoil. Importantly, uh, the the thing is, I like the gunplay, which really sets the weapons into the certain ranges because that forces you to get some knowledge of the map. That force that forces you to just know your weapon because the the mistake that a lot of people make is. They try to force a gun into their playstyle instead of building their playstyle around the gun, which yeah, is that's a big which problem. Is the right way to go, mm-hmm. and that and that's the big and that's the big problem. Yep. And then if they if the balancing style that really puts the weapon in a certain range primarily comes in, and suddenly they just cannot use their weapon and the Swiss Army knife. Then it's suddenly the fault of all those big bad deaths because they actually have to think a bit before they fire a weapon. <sighs> all right. Speaking of, because we've been talking, I'm going to get I'm going to get destroyed by people for all the stuff I'm saying here. Right, right now. That, that, this is why this podcast exists. It's open. It's open minded for everyone to listen and talk about anything that is on their mind. No one's here to judge anyone. If anyone wants to be a dipshit about something, don't be a dipshit. Please give constructive comments and feedback, whatever that is. This is a podcast to discuss stuff. That's all it is. If anyone dislikes it, I'm sorry. Just de- describe why dis- describe why you dislike it so we can a- have a discussion. Um, Alright, we've been talking for 15 minutes. Uh do you want to talk about your experience while working at EA Spain? How you got the job and how you all went on, how it started, how it, all that kind of stuff? I mean, it's up to you. I mean, yeah, I guess I can tell a bit. Yeah, maybe it suggests no, it, people who want to work at EA or some any other video game company, maybe they can get some tips from you. I mean, yeah, I, the, th- the thing really with getting into game dev is keep in mind... Uh, what I actually did during university had absolutely nothing to do with computer games. I have the MSc and plan about technology, which, as you can probably figure out, doesn't exactly have much to do with 
anything related to video games. I would say because, well, first of all, the way I found it, it was a coincidence, really, because basically I just saw on Twitter that EA was saying that they're starting to hire people for localization. And I kind of jumped on it. I had a couple of job applications to various places that did not work out before that. I tried it. What I really focused on was the the stuff I did as a volunteer. Because if you don't really have... I would say, I mean, yeah, first of all, university, like what you did at the university, it's honestly a little bit overrated. But uh, even that aside, you're probably going to have to depend on what you did as a volunteer. And yeah, just I just built on that. I applied and then... The matter is localization. I mean, it's about language. It's both about your language and your understanding of English and the ability to juggle between both. So obviously your your knowledge of English is going to get checked out. And yeah, I would say the primary thing is, I know it's very easy to say that, but just trust yourself, really trust the process that you know the stuff and f- for all that's holy, do not treat Google Translator as your main source of translation oh, skills. Someone actually used that. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything, but the, I mean, even if you went to school and had English, if you ever, tra- if you're young enough, where the Google Translator was already popular when you went to school. Uh, if you ever try to submit something to your teacher with Google Translator, then I would argue that the teacher would probably notice that within approximately 10 seconds. 10 seconds? You've been generous there. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess five. But the thing is, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be... It's not going to look pretty because even the, even the best like the best available translators like deeply or however it's called which is pretty good but it's still going to be visible that no actual human being worked in that and keep in mind if even even if by some miracle you made it through i don't know how i don't know why maybe there was nobody else left in the world speaking your language but the thing is, even if you make it for based on that, once you come to work, you're actually going to have to know that language. The translator is not going to save your bacon. And if you've ever played video games, the, the language used in video games can vary a lot. And a lot of it is stuff that really, to really convey it well, you'd need to know like the, like the small things from your own language, from your own culture, also importantly. And if you don't, if you don't know that, if you don't capitalize on that, or if you don't understand it from English, it, the translation, the, the you will not notice. Is for, if, for example, the translation just comes through completely dead, which obviously can happen because the translator will usually not see the game in any, in any shape or form. And you're not going to notice it. And then people will be upset that the translation is dead. So you just have to know that stuff. You, you have to feel it a bit. You're, you do not have to have some kind of PhD from your language or from English or whatever. But 
you need to have good communicative skill in both languages. And I'm going to say why in a moment. But yeah, coming back to that, I, I I went through the recruitment process, which took... I don't remember, but let's say about a month. Yeah, my it, my Sony think it was more than a month too. Yeah, but like for, even from my experience with also my failed applications, usually start to and like depending on company, also depending on circumstances, it's usually going to be month, maybe up to two months if you're really unlucky. So yeah, don't don't expect that you're going to move instantly because you're not. It, there's going to be a little of a time gap between that. And then you have to like then you have to sign your contract and also keep in mind moving, depending on where you're moving, is not particularly easy. I mean, the problem with me in Spain and Spain is I don't speak Spanish. Muchas gracias. That's all I know. And the the problem that is connected to that is not many people in Spain speak English. So yeah, you might actually have to rely on translator with that a bit. But uh, in big cities, it might be a bit difficult to find accommodation. So that's something you'll probably need to sacrifice a few weeks for, because at least a couple of weeks, just don't leave everything for the last moment because it's going to bite you. And then you have to sort stuff out, like fight ticket, and suddenly it turns out that, wait, you actually pretty much need a month, a month and a bit to sort things out before you move, because otherwise you're just completely really messing yourself up but yeah after that what i mean once once i moved and uh, i i got assigned to what i'm doing and if you if you look i mean it's not really something top secret you can even see it from the credits that usually the number of i mean obviously it depends on company it depends on the game but uh, in my case it was like 30-ish slash 40 people being in the group. And we had uh, three people in language, so I had always had two people next to me. And yeah, that's something you have to keep in mind at all times. You're going to work as a group a lot, and you're not going to work as a group just within your language. You're going to jump between languages. But yeah, for that... uh, I'll have to explain what localization really has to do with it because yeah, I also in, don't go into deal that much because no 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 I'm not going to go into detail but you need to have at least a very basic idea what what localization does because not many people know yeah, and I point, don't yeah, really blame point. them I mean I even know someone who thought that people from localization are the ones who actually like check the real life localizations for the maps for a video games so <laughs> yeah basically. If you're in localization, your primary purpose as a tester will be to check if the translation in the game, first of all, it makes sense in context of the game, because keep in mind, the translators will often translate like small bits, like, for example, imagine the menu patterns. They, they will not know the context, they will not know they will not know the full context for what it's for, they will not, perhaps sometimes not really know that it's for the main menu, they may there might be a couple of ways to translate the same word from English, so they might get it wrong. It happens. If even even if they get some information, it's not always going to be clear. So you you check if the translation is correct from a language standpoint. You check if it holds up in the game. 
because here's the problem. English is a pretty short language. It is actually funny enough. Yeah, and the problem is, if something fits on the screen in English, it does not necessarily mean it's going to fit on the screen in Polish or especially languages like Italian or French. Uh-huh. Or, uh, for example, for Arabic, there's an extra issue because Arabic goes in, in different yeah, directions. Right, direction. And it also sometimes can cause issues. So you have to keep those things in mind. You have to check in the game if it's working. If it's not working, then depending on how exactly it's broken, you might have to bug it. You might have to report that there is a concern, that there is an issue, because, I mean, something might also be wrong in English, and that might cause the problem in Polish, in which case you have to report that because you're not going to change English. Uh you might like there's also other things like for example broken special characters uh, like if if you've ever played a video game and you've seen a box instead of a character somewhere that's that's going to be that yeah that's true uh, and also which is probably the less fun part you for example going to have to check if the error messages and such and warning messages if they actually are translated properly to your language if the terms of service for example is updated the most recent form because that's obviously legal that is not allowed to be wrong by a single character oof so you've got to actually read the terms of service okay you're not going to read it 100% of the time but at least a couple of things you should do is check if you actually have the most recent form of terms of service and if nothing is broken inside it. Like, at least check if the characters are not broken because I sure, I cannot blame you that you don't want to read 30 pages of it every single time. But Every time they have it in terms of service, you read the whole thing. Ooh. Like, like, yeah, I, I, I don't remember who said that, but I think someone actually said that we're probably the only people in the world who actually read this stuff. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, God, that's hilarious. That's Yeah, it's not hilarious when you have to read it. Oh, yeah, I can imagine it's annoying as hell. Like, oh, my God, let me read this legal shit and translate it to a different language. Oh, no, no, no you're, not, you're not translating it. You're getting it already in Polish. Oh, okay. Like, you're, you're, ju- you're just checking if it's actually the up-to-date Polish version. You're, like... If you think that you're allowed to change anything personally in the terms of service, boy, do I have the news for you. <laughs> do, 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 do you seriously think that any company with a slightest bit of preservation instinct, self-preservation instinct, would allow a random person, okay, not so, a random hired person to just check whatever they want willingly in their legal documents. Well, I, I guess it would someone double check it anyway. I would imagine. I'll put it that way. That's where le- what legal is for. Yeah, yeah. Usually that's the case. But, yeah, but yeah, the the key part either way is just communicate, 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 communicate between each other within the language because that that's a good thing. Uh, we had because we had kind of people from different backgrounds. Like, for example, one person I worked with was a translator by by job, basically. So 
they were very good at catching stuff from language standpoint. But for example, I mean, I play video games, so sometimes, like sometimes they would, sometimes I would not really catch something, and they would catch it. But at the same time, if they wanted to maybe overcorrect it, make it something that maybe will sound a bit off in a video game, then I would catch it. It's just different perspectives, really. Yeah, which is is actually amazing for everything because it's. Again, like this podcast, different perspectives are important because it. Like, yeah, it, it it's nece- I would even argue it's necessary. Yeah. It's just a little. And go on. Yeah, and at the at the same time, you there's also a matter of different languages, and it's not like. Uh, it's not like Polish just completely doesn't speak to the Germans or something because we do. We we speak to everyone because there are, for example, there will be some types of issues that are more likely to show up in certain language. Let's say Italian has a language that kind of tends to have long translations. So let's say the Italian the Italian team they've noticed that a bit of text in the main menu, it just completely overflow, overlap with something else, whatever. So they would bring it up like, okay, guys, listen up. In Italian, something is messed up. You might want to check it for your language, especially language this, this, and that, because you usually also have long stuff. So yeah, check it out. And that's the basic of communication. And I can confidently say that it catches a lot of stuff that if you are close in your own language bubble, you might possibly miss. Yeah, because you get used to it and everything, so it's hard that you notice something weird. Yeah, pretty pretty much. And also, yeah, with the special characters, obviously there will be a different like group of languages, uh, especially Arabic and Russian, where basically from... Uh, like from the coding standpoint, basically everything is a special character. But it also impacts, for example, Polish or Swedish or French or whatever, even though we have different special characters. It's kind of an early warning system that is really good, and that's also why it's so critical for people just keep on talking to each other. Although I have a question. So let's say, you, you given, let's say, translate stuff, right, for the game, Let's say menus or something. Uh, I don't translate. I check if the oh, okay. translation is fine. Okay, so uh, okay, so if you double check, so uh, that probably question comes through. Comes through okay, let, just uh, just to specify. Sometimes there might be small cases where you actually have to translate something, but those are very minor. And it if it happens, then it usually means that something changed in the English version. And in that case, I mean, you don't want to waste the time of the translators over and over again yeah. because it, that's just going to delay stuff. But yeah, that that's fringe cases. Yeah, because in my case at Sony, uh, I was kind of surprised how much power I could actually could do. <laughs> like, if I want to change something on the PSN, I could, funny enough. So, but of course, I would be in trouble, but... As everyone would notice, but if I want to change something stupid, I would pro- I would actually could do that. Funny enough, I don't know why Sony allows me to do that, but yeah, I guess with localization, it's it's not to that extent. I mean, obviously, you're only operating within your language version; you're not touching English, which is key because obviously English is going to be the main version. But within your version, let's say if 
let's say if you have a completely brand new, like ultra minor character, like he's just like, for example, let's say in Plants vs. Zombies, it's just going to be some random NPC who just throws a couple of lines. Then if the translation is extremely dead, then maybe, maybe, it depends on the situation, you might be allowed to tweak his name a little bit to make sense a bit more. Like for ex- but yeah, it's it's very case to case, and obviously it's not like you're going to reinvent the name of Doctor Zambas because he has that he's had that name for a while. You're you're not touching that stuff. I just I just remembered uh, uh, about BF4 translation. You told me about the Polish translation for that game. Uh, yeah, the, the, here's the thing. I don't blame the localization for that. Because uh, just give me examples. Just, I want ret- to remember the examples. In 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 retros, uh, it was mostly audio, and one I remember was like you know the soldiers had like those random shouts that they would do when you're near them, and one of them was like I am Godzilla and they're Japan or something like that. <laughs> and <laughs> well, you never heard of that dark? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Polish is pretty interesting with that. And the thing is, for Battlefield 4, you could only, if you bought that the game in Poland, you could also only play it in Polish or Russian. So it's not like you could switch to English like in other Battlefields. Uh, I am Godzilla in their Japan. It's just like... Because, oh. yeah, because, because, <laughs> because, yeah, because that, that was region lock uh, in BF4. Uh, I don't blame the localization for that. Because first of all, it's one of those. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have no idea, honestly. I would love to know uh, the original. I I mean, I'm sure it is somewhere, but uh, the thing is, with audio, you kind of have your hands tied to some extent because uh, you need to record. You need to record it. Yeah, you need to record it or you need to somehow change it, paste it together so it works. It's not like you just can walk up to the voice actor. And also keep in mind, many voice actors will be actually pretty known people in the bigger games. For example, I think in Battlefield 3, there was a very non-Polish actor doing some voice acting. And it's not like you can just record it, send it for checking, and then you just return three weeks, month, or whenever later, and say, like, hey, bitch, listen up. This makes no sense. Re-record it, bastard. Because, I mean, uh... it costs money. It costs time. It's not like those people have all day in the world, all the time in the world, yeah. either. So you kind of have to work with what you have, really. Yeah, true. In luck, in it's more important if you check if if the phrases are correct in polish although obviously there are cases where you can like allow a mistake but if that like kind of makes sense with the game's i would say flavor like you're not expecting for example i didn't do battlefield but for example if you had a soldier who is currently under artillery barrage you're not expecting him to speak textbook polish if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what he means. Like, no one will be like, <laughs> you're under fire, and it's like, let's say, British soldiers are under fire, and the British person just goes, 
Oh, right, let's go get some cup of tea or something like that. Like the most formal thing you could ever say yeah, while you're on yeah, the fly. Yeah, 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 exactly. If that, what you really should focus on is whether it's functional Polish. Well, I'm speaking Polish, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and also if the audio is of the right quality, because I mean, with recording, sometimes something might be a bit more, ju- a bit jumbled. It, it happens, it cancels it through. In that case, I mean, you'll have to report it unless you want to make the players go deaf or something. I mean, uh, recording equipment sometimes might have limits for stuff like shouting and such. It it happens. Huh. Uh, so sometimes, I mean, some recording might be necessary if you really have no way around it. Sure, you, you can suggest that. But yeah, it, it's your job to just check if actually, yeah, if that line is of good enough quality to land in the game. Huh. And that, yeah, I mean, that's that's not only video games in this case. It comes with, I think, movies or, or anything and I mean, anything yeah, creative obviously. media, anyway. Yeah, obviously. And one one thing worth keeping in mind in general is that uh, the way the things you focus on, the main challenges, they're going to be very different depending on the game. For example, I was uh, doing localization testing for two games. Uh, one of them was Plants vs. Zombies: Battle for Neighborville, and the other one was Need for Speed Heat. And those games, if you even if you play in English, if you look at both of those games, they're just so completely different in terms of language style. You need to look at completely different things. For example, in PVZ has so many word plays. And word plays, they're always going to be difficult to translate. And the translator obviously is also working under some time limit. They will not always be able to convey it. Well, it's not their fault. And, yeah, you're kind of like a second check. If you come up with something nice, then maybe you might be able to apply it. You know what would be funny, though? If by some really weird miracle and accident, someone puts the localization from Plants vs. Zombies into Need for Speed, and Need for Speed into <laughs> Plants no, vs. No, no, Zombies. No, 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 that's not happening. Oh, that would be that, hilarious, that... though. I know it would be hilarious. It would probably cost a lot of people a job, which is not so hilarious. Yeah, not that. <laughs> but 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 yeah, it's it's not happening. I can tell you that much. Oh. Okay, um, Dark, you want to say something before we end? Uh, 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 anything that is on your mind? Anything? I don't care. He fell. He fell asleep. No, it's okay. <laughs> no I think it's it's uh, very interesting. Uh, a lot of people don't. Re- uh, yeah, lot- just one, one one very important thing that I just remembered. With localization testing, for most of companies, keep in mind it's a bit of a foot in the door, but it's not going to be your forever job because localization is mostly seasonal. If you do not end up in, uh, let's call it sustain, where you'll be doing localization for uh, basically, let's call it live service slash updating perhaps also marketing, then it's kind of going project to project. Hmm. So it's not something you're going to stay in permanently for the entire year, most of the time. There might be cases where you do, but more often than not, no. 
but it's still it's that foot in the door where you can at least say, okay, I did something in game dev, and that's going to make your job a bit easier when it comes to looking to next work. Uh-huh. It's not going to be like a guarantee or anything, but at least you could like the, there is a difference in importance between volunteer stuff and like the actual job job because then at least you can say I saw how the sausage is made. I have I have an idea about the realities of working that job. I ca- I have some skills with that. Yeah, the most important thing is like you, you completed something different in your in university that has nothing to do with video games. But you can always put your volunteer work you did in video games or whatever you think is right with like you're proud of in what you did in video games. You can always apply for the position in video games even if you don't have the qualifications. If you did something, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, already yeah, good enough. Well, good, good enough. Sometimes will be, sometimes won't. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you can, you can definitely at least try to rely on that. Also, although on the other side, don't go overboard. Don't just write literally everything that you remember because if the CVs are too long, then the person reading that might just, yeah, just for, might just yeah. think that you're basically doing. It's just fluff. It's just filler. You're just trying to make yourself look better than you are, yeah. which. Obviously, it's not what you want. All right, uh, we've been talking for an hour and fifteen minutes. Mm, like I said, Dark, you still all awake there? I'm still here. Good, fantastic. <laughs> Want to talk how English localization works? I have no idea. You just talk, speak English and bring some tea. That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> how English person communicate with each other? They drink tea. <laughs> we just drink tea and stare at each other. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Okay, I, I don't want to go there, but you, you just drink tea and look at the elections. Oh, let's not. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm let's just kidding. Not I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Anyway, I think we're done for now because I don't think anyone wants to sit for another hour talking about something. So, you guys got anything else? Just closing thoughts? Anything? Anything that comes to your mind in a sentence or two? Nope. Uh, honestly, I think I said most of the stuff I really wanted to say. But yeah, once again, if you want to apply for a game dev job, don't get discouraged if you get no if you get rejected once or twice or even three times because just just stay just stay persistent. Really, have some trust in yourself because it's not something that you really get often get done on the first try. Just. Just keep on grinding. Pretty much. You gotta fake it till you make it in every Yeah, industry. that's true, actually. <laughs> that's pretty much true. Okay, then. I think we're done for today. So, alright, thank you, Simon and Dark, for participating in this podcast and Simon explaining how localization works and why it takes to actually work in localization when it comes to video games. So, thank you for being in this podcast and talking about that. And to our listeners that are still listening, Thank you so much to you listening and actually support the podcast. Leave your feedback, whether it be negative or positive feedback you find this, about this podcast. Please leave it a comment. I'll read everything because it's a real important because you're listening, so we want to improve. And that's kind of it. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Your hands upon a dead man's gun and you're looking down the sides Your heart is worn and the seams are torn